Psalm 23, God has set a table for two. One chair for himself, the king, and the second one, believe it or not, is for you. But of course, the enemy wants a seat at the table too. Anxiety wants a seat, envy wants a seat, worry and frustration want a seat. But don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Look up, go up, you're invited up the mountain of God. Move towards infinite power, splendor, love and beauty, healing and restoration. When we gaze upon the Almighty, we are changed by the captivation. Empowered to take every thought captive in the battle of the mind. Shame is silenced by his glory and our future redefined. So draw near to Jesus. The shepherd is good. Our God is faithful. Take the place prepared for you. And don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Yes. Well, good morning, Crossroads. My name is Dustin. I am the Mishawaka Campus Pastor, and it's so great to be with you. It's a holiday weekend. Let's get excited about that, can we? That's right. What a great day it is to be together. And you guys are the champions here uh, at a holiday weekend service. We're so glad that you are here and truly believe that God's desire for all of us uh, is to connect with him today. And as you've made the effort to be here, wherever you are, we do believe that God is here uh, to connect with you. And I do just want to say right here, my Goshen people right inside and also at Driving, let's give it up for yourselves. That's right. I'm going to give you a shout out right here. We're so glad that you are here with us. But I also want to give a shout out to our people down in St. Pete at our St. Pete campus. Give up to our Florida people. That's right. Also, we want to say hello to our friends in Nashville. Can let people in Nashville hear you. That's right. Thank you for joining. And finally, my family, my people, and in my opinion, the best Crossroads campus. Can we get up for the Mishawaka campus? Let's go. Uh, we love you, uh, and I'm so glad just to be with you as we are one church in multiple locations. And uh, we are in the last week of a series we've been diving into together called Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. And really, we focused on one section of scripture uh, from Psalm 23. Uh, and really, we, we narrowed it down to one single verse uh, in verse 5, and we've bounced around a little bit, but really the, the core of what we've been talking about uh, is found in verse 5, and it says this. It says, you, God, prepare a table before me. And we just recognize this, how incredible is it that the God of the universe who speaks galaxies into existence has prepared a table just for you. And this isn't just some normal, like average table. This is like the best table you could ever imagine. And it's right here prepared for you. If Pastor Tim was here, he'd have a diet due, but I'm not about that life. So we'll just pretend it doesn't exist. <laughs> All right, so it's just, this table has been prepared for you. And what we've realized is this, it's not just something God does for us. The reality is this, it's what we are created for. And at the other side of the table from us is God and his desire. He has prepared this just so you and him can have a deep connection. You're created for an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. And we just recognize that, that this invitation is for you. 
And, and on our end, we have to be willing to pull up our seat. That's first and foremost. And every week we've given us a chance to realize, hey, maybe I need to pull my seat back up because there's a thousand distractions and a thousand voices and all these, these things, all these enemies trying to find a seat, find a way into your table. But this table's been prepared and designed just for you. God prepares a table before me. You know, the guy who wrote Psalm 23, King David, he, uh, he knew what it meant to sit at the table with God. Like David had, had lived his life sitting at the table with God, and we find him describing it again. I want to read this to you. That's kind of the basis of where we're going today. In Psalm 34, it says this. It says, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all of my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will ever darken their faces. That's good news. In my desperation, he says, I prayed and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles, for the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him, all who sit at the table. And listen to what he says here in verse 8. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. It's like David is sitting at the table, singing God's praises, and he, he looks to all of us, and this invitation echoes out of Scripture, down through the generations and the ages, and he turns to us and he says, hey, friends, taste and see. See for yourself, God is good. And see, this isn't like some like, small invitation or even like a drive-through invitation. This is something to sit and to savor what God has prepared for us. David says, taste and see. You know, I have to admit, uh, in my life, I spend way too long in drive-through lines. Anyone else have that problem? Anyone else love fast food? I do. Uh, I know it's hard to tell from looking at me with a physique like this, but you know, I love... <laughs> I love fast food. And just the other day, I was driving through McDonald's, and I got a large fry for a dollar because it's on the app because I'm a baller on a budget. Uh, and so as I'm getting this large fry, I pull out of the drive-thru line. And I kid you not, I'm not even out of the parking lot. And I had reached in, not even looking, and I probably pulled out 27 fries at once. Right? They're not designed to be eaten one at a time, but probably not 27 at a time either. And I caught myself looking in the rearview mirror as I was literally shoveling it in my mouth like this. It's like just getting fries in my face as fast as possible, right? I wasn't tasting anything. I was just shoveling fries in my face. Uh, and truthfully, that, that experience in, in fast food is meant to be a transaction. You go through the line, you give your money, they give you some food, you eat some really bad food, and it gives you some calories, maybe energy for 14 minutes, right? That's the transaction, and this table, though, is not designed to be something that's just a transaction where we come to God, we say a little prayer, God, give me strength today, and then we go about our day. Or, or come to church once a week, and we say, hey, listen, I'm a Christian, I go to Crossroads. Right? This isn't a, a transaction. You give a little, God gives you what you need, and then you move on with your day. No, what David invites us into is to savor. It says, taste it. Don't shovel it in your mouth like a dollar French fry from McDonald's. Taste and see that he is good. 
I went on a date with my wife shortly after we were married, and, and it was to our favorite sushi restaurant. And we decided uh, that, that money wasn't an issue that night. We were just going to spend as much as we could. And that was before we had kids, so we could like have fun for a night. You know, it was great. Uh, uh, and so we're, we're, we're there, and, and we had this giant plate full of sushi, and I remember we spent so long at the restaurant, the waiters were like, come on, move along, but every bite, we were just tasting it, and we could, the textures, and the flavors, and the different temperatures of each different roll, and it was just a beautiful experience, and it was much more than just the food. It wasn't this transaction, it was this, this relational experience between me and my wife, and the table was this implement of helping us connect. And the reality is the table that God has prepared for us, it's not about what's on the table. But, but God is saying to all of us, he's, he's, he's inviting us to sit down and see how good he is. What he has prepared for you is for you. And David understands what it means to be at the table with God. And you know, he also understands that this table isn't always the easiest. As he writes Psalm 34, if you look at the top of it as you read it in Scripture, it says this psalm was written right after David pretended to be crazy, running from a king for his life. David, he became so popular that all the kings in the area wanted, were out to get him. And he goes to someone who thinks he's his friend, and all of a sudden he realizes he's probably going to turn him into the king, going to kill him. He pretends to be crazy. He runs out of town. He's hiding in a cave, cowering, alone writing Psalm 34. Praise to God in all things, for you hear my prayer. And that's why in Psalm 23, verse 5, he doesn't just say, you prepare a table before me. He says this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. David knows this table isn't the most comfortable place. It's not always in a private space where we can have everything we want and get everything we ever dreamed of. But this table, and it wasn't an accident, by the way. This table has been prepared on purpose. God is not making an accident. He's not, it's not an accidental place he put it. It's prepared in the presence of our enemies. And so I think we have to pause and ask an important question today. We need to pause and ask, why? God, why would you put the table in the presence of our enemies? Because we, as we ask the question why, and as we pause on that today, I think we hear the heart of God. I think we see the face of God. And then while we're pausing, I, I want to just invite you to take that, that question one step further. Not just why, God, did you put the presence in my enemy, but just why in general, I think so many times in life and in our faith journey, we lose sight of the big picture. We lose sight of the why. You know, when I was a kid, my least favorite thing my parents, and I'll be honest, is my mom, she forced me to do was to go pull weeds. In the front of our house, we lived behind our church, there was a, uh, a garden's the wrong word. We'll call it a square with some dirt in it. Uh, it was in my front yard. And she had us pulling weeds all the time. I remember the first time I went to do it, I didn't really know why we were going out there. And so I was on hands and knees. And we were three minutes in, and my sister, the princess sister, she said all of a sudden, I think I have an allergy. And my parents bought it. And she, got, she went and sat inside. She never pulled weeds again in her life. It's like, she doesn't have an allergy. I've never seen her be allergic to anything in my life. But we still talk about our allergies. I don't know how she got out of that, out of that one. But, but I hated pulling weeds in that square of dirt. And, and it, not only was it just annoying and monotonous, I never understood why. Because I knew two weeks later, these dumb weeds are going to be back. There weren't any flowers. Nothing pretty was in that garden. 
And so I didn't understand the why. And because of that, there was no joy in it. It was this monotonous obligation. And I think the reason we're pausing on, on our why is I think so many times our faith becomes this just obligation, this monotonous response, and there's no joy in it. And when you talk about being a Christian, you say it with a frown on your face. And so we have to pause and ask ourselves, why? Like, why are you here? Why do you call yourself a Christian? And maybe you don't, and maybe you're still searching for why. Why would you ever follow Jesus? We're going to dive into that question as well. We're pausing and asking why. And I believe as we look to the question of why God put the table in the presence of our enemies, we're also going to begin to unlock our why. So the first thing we say is, why God? Why did you put the table in the presence of my enemies? And God says, so you can see, so you can see that I am enough. That's God's first response to that question. God wants us to sit at the table and to be surrounded by all these distractions and all these things, all this, all of your enemies, the anxiety, the depression, the people who wish you ill, the people who don't want you to succeed, all of your past, you're surrounded by all of that because God wants you to know that that's there and know that you don't need it because he is enough for you. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament. It's centered around a guy named Elisha in the book of 2 Kings. And Elisha was a prophet, which just simply means Elisha made it his entire life's goal to be someone who could sit at the table and taste and see that God was good. And the byproduct of Elisha's vocation of sitting at the table was that he had a sense of who God was more than anyone else in his culture. He could hear from God because he had prioritized the relationship with God. And, and as his nation, Israel, is in conflict with many other nations, there's this one enemy nation, and, and Elisha keeps hearing from God what they're going to do. And the enemy is so frustrated. The enemy king is so frustrated. It even says in Scripture that his advisors go up to him and say, Listen, this Elisha guy, he even knows what you think about in the bathroom. That's a scary thought. So the king is, he's had it up to here. He says, listen, I'm not just going to send an assassin. I'm not going to send a small contingent of officers. He sends an army after Elisha. So I'm going to solve this problem once and for all. And then they creep up on Elisha's location and they surround him. Elisha is literally surrounded by enemies. And in his camp, there are people with him. One of them, we get an insight into what he's thinking. It's a young man with him. And you can imagine as he sees uh, the army surrounding his camp, he looks around and realizes he doesn't have enough to survive. He sees the swords and the armor and the shields and the spears. And he sees the murder in the enemy's eyes. And he knows they're coming for him. And he's right there, ready to give up hope. And he looks at Elisha, and Elisha is just calm as can be. He's cool. And you have to imagine what is happening in the young man's mind as he looks at Elisha. See, Elisha has what we've called in this series, an even though I will faith. Elisha knows, hey, even though I'm surrounded by enemies, I will put my trust in God. There you go. And, and so as he's looking around, he has a conversation. He looks at the young man, and he can see the fear on his eyes. And he says this in verse 16 of 2 Kings 6. He looks to the young man. He says, don't be afraid, Elisha told him. 
For there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. Elisha was inviting the young man to sit at the table and to realize that he wasn't in need of more because God was all that he needed. And his eyes were opened and there was an army of God's angels. The God of angel armies was there and an unseen force Elisha knew was fighting for him. And as we pause in the second, uh, in, second in that story, uh, we all have to know this. Do you know that God is fighting for you? He is the God of angel armies, is how he's often referred to in the Old Testament. He's fighting for you, and Elisha knew this. Even though it was not seen, he had been trained to see things that you couldn't see because he had taken a seat at the table, and he had tasted and seen that God was good. And he looked up, and he knew God was fighting for him. And so he walked confidently to the leader of the guys that were there to kill him. And as he's walking there, God blinded all of them. They were confused. Elisha walked up to him and he said, hey, follow me. And the enemy followed the guy they were supposed to kill. Followed him all the way into Elisha's capital city. He took him in front of the king and the king said, well, thanks for bringing my enemy. Should we kill him? Which is what you should probably do. And Elisha says, no. And they prepared a table for them. And the king of Israel put a feast in front of them. And the enemies that were there to kill Elisha that day ended the day having a feast in their enemy capital. And at the final part, the final verse of that chapter, it says, and they never bothered Israel again. (laughs) See, they had tasted and seen that God was good. And I'll be honest, as I reflect on this moment, I, I see a lot of myself in that young man. And I think if we're honest, I think we would see a lot of ourselves in him too. Because as he was looking at a circumstance, and it certainly was a challenge, as he saw the enemy, as he felt them creeping around him, his first thought was, I don't have enough. He said, I need something else. I need more. I think we're constantly in pursuit of more. And culture has trained us to always be reaching out, always be chasing for more. And we just keep reaching. If I could just have more money, if I could have a little bit more friends, if I could have better experiences, if I could go on better vacations, if I could have a better job, if I could have more satisfaction in my marriage, if I could just have more of this or that, then I've made it. And the truth is, as we pursue more, we recognize this, it never satisfies. And Jesus, and and God is sitting at the table and he says, listen, taste and see that I'm enough for you. So my question for you is this, are you searching for more? Do you find yourself looking at your life feeling like it's just not enough? Maybe you see someone else and you're comparing yourself and you don't match up. Here's the problem. If we're constantly feeling like we don't have enough, eventually you'll believe you aren't enough. But here's the reality. God invites you to his table and he says you are enough. He's fighting for you. Don't believe that lie. That's not from God. That's condemnation. We learned last week that's not the voice of Jesus. That's the voice of the enemy. It doesn't have place at your table. So if you feel like your life is in pursuit of more, or maybe you feel like you just, you don't match up, you aren't enough, maybe somebody in your life has told you and treated you like you're not enough. Don't believe them. Because you've been invited to take a seat at the table. And we invite you this morning to taste and see that God is good and he puts you around your enemies because he's desperate for you to know it's not about how terrible they are or how bad the circumstance is. It's about how good he is. Come on. And you're invited, we're invited to take a seat 
at the table. We ask this question, why God would you put the enemy or the, the table in the presence of our enemies? Why God, he says, so your enemies can see that I am enough. See, see, God wants you to sit at this table and he wants you to be seen. This isn't designed for a private place. You know the one time the disciples decided to take their gathering to a private place? Jesus showed up in the walls. <laughs> He's like, this isn't what this is about. You're not designed to be in a private place. Your faith is designed to be seen. He wants the enemies to see that God is enough. And I don't know what your enemies are today. Maybe for some of us, our enemies are depression and anxiety and worry and fear. And these things have been taking you down. Listen, please let all of those things see you sitting at the table. Not focused on all of the worries or all of the problems, but focused on the God who's invited you there in the first place. But, but I also think sometimes that the, the things we're talking about are people. And he wants us to sit at a table so people around us can see that God is enough for us. Did you know that Jesus loves your enemies? That he died for the people that wish you bad? That he loves them as much as he loves you? There's a story in the New Testament in the book of Acts chapter 16 and it's a story about Paul, and Paul is a guy who's radically transformed by the good news of Jesus, and he lives in the grace of a living Jesus, and he sits at the table. Listen, Paul has tasted and seen that God is good. He's read that. He's meditated on Psalm 34. He knows, and him and his buddy Silas, they're walking through, <laughs> they're walking through the town, and they see this girl who's broken and hurting. She's being used and manipulated for someone else to make a profit. And she's got a demon-possessed spirit and soul. She's let the enemy pull up a seat. It's eating her lunch. And so Paul has a moment. He prays for her, and she's set free because when you're in Jesus, you find freedom. And this woman is set free, and she's changed, but it creates a, a huge commotion in the middle of the city. And, and people don't like it because they've been making money off this girl. And so they take Paul and Silas and they, they beat them up. They throw them into chains and they throw them in prison. You see, there's a jailer there. His whole life has been dedicated to being the guy who makes sure the people in prison stay in prison. And he takes his job seriously. He's in charge of this prison in the middle of the town. And he orders other people around. And so as Paul and Silas are brought in, he throws them in these giant shackles on his hands and his feet. And it says he takes them to the inner dungeon the worst place you could be. It's dark, it's dank, it's terrible. And I could imagine Paul and Silas looking up and saying, God, what's this? I thought you loved me. Why are you letting this happen to me? But that's not their response. See, Paul and Silas, they have that even though I will kind of faith. Even though I'm thrown into the deepest, darkest pit and I'm surrounded by my enemies and people who wish me dead, I will still put my trust in God. And so Paul and Silas, they aren't complaining like I would be. They're not moaning loud and crying to God and asking why. They're having a praise and worship session in the middle of a prison. They're singing Psalm 34 loud. loud. They're saying, we've tasted and seen that God is good. Even here in a prison, God is good enough for me. And it's in that moment an earthquake shatters everything. The ground shakes. The walls fall down. Like in a song we sang today, there's no prison that can hold the goodness of God. And, and they're able to be able to walk out free. And if that was me, I'm running out of there. And I'm saying, thank you, God. You heard my cry. You care about me. But Paul and Silas, they stay put. 
because they understand that, that when God is inviting them to this moment, it's very rarely just about them. They understand that they are created for a why, and that God has put them in this jail for a why. And as the the dust starts to settle, that jailer looks around and he realizes everything he's built his life on is now ruined. And in shame and and from a fear of failure, he goes to to end his own life. And in that moment, we get to this scripture. In Acts 16, verse 29, it says this. The jailer called for the lights ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, who were still there. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? See, here's the reality. God had placed Paul and Silas in that prison because he cared just as much about the jailer and his family. Scripture goes on to say that 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 jailer went home and told his whole family, an entire generation of people come to know the grace and goodness of Jesus. Why? Because Paul and Silas had tasted and seen that God was good. They had sat at the table and they realized it wasn't just about them. So here's my question. Who are your enemies? And what do they see? And if it's depression or anxiety or some of those things we talked about, make your enemies, make those things see that you are fine without them, that you don't need them. But if it's a person, and listen, even if you might not have an enemy you can think of, there are people who don't believe like you. I don't know if you've seen this. (laughs) There are people who don't look like you or or, or vote like you, and, and they can see how you're living your faith. Who are your enemies, and what do they see? And I'll be honest, oftentimes Christians are known to be the people who speak the loudest against other things. We're known for our negativity. We're known for how we speak against people and against things. And listen, God has put us in the middle of our enemies so that people can see the radiant joy of what it means to taste and see that God is good. And if our enemies look at us and all they see is looks nothing like Jesus, then maybe we need to pause for a second Maybe we need to be quiet for a second and sit and savor that God is good. Finally, the last point is this. We say, God, why? Why would you put the table in the presence of our enemies? His final answer is this. So your cup overflows. Right? Jesus knows this invitation, it's just for you. This is your invitation, but he also knows it's not just about you. And I don't know if you've heard this recently, but your faith isn't just about you. He wants it to overflow into the people you are with. He wants the goodness of himself to be seen by your family and your kids and your parents and your grandparents. He wants everybody you come in contact to experience the goodness of him. Because you have been with Jesus. You have been dining with the king, and so your cup overflows. You know, Jesus is telling uh, the greatest sermon ever told in Matthew 5. That's number one. This is number two. You know, we're doing good so far. Matthew chapter 5, he says this. He said, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. 
Imagine how dumb it would be to go through the effort of lighting something up and then covering it up right away. It's missing the point. It's not the purpose. It's forgetting your why. You know, I remember in my first uh, church, I was a youth pastor, and, and we started out with a pretty small youth group, and there was one girl whose family came to church all the time. Her name was Rachel. And see, Rachel, for whatever reason, about a month after I'd been there, she had, she had decided she was going to be someone who had contagious joy, and she started inviting people to church. And from her town, I started to go and pick a few people up with her, and eventually a whole crew of people. And you know, two years later, I looked at our youth group, and I would say about 60% of them could be traced to an invitation from Rachel. Like Rachel understood that there's power in an invitation and that she wanted her cup to overflow to her friends at school. And these people didn't know who Jesus was. They just knew there was a place who could love them like Jesus did. And she invited them to it. And she changed lives. And some of those people are now loving Jesus. And one of them is in ministry helping other people love Jesus. Like she understood that, the, that the, her purpose was not to be hidden, but to be seen. And here's the reality. As followers of Jesus, like our faith is not meant to be put under, uh, under wraps in private. This table is in public so everyone can see how good God is. Like and your faith isn't just about you. You know, God's desire for that army that was attacking Elisha was for all of them to be invited to the table. That was God's desire. But God's design was for Elisha to be the one to stand up and face them. God's desire was for that jailer to see that God is good and that, that Paul and Silas had a faith that was real and something that was compelling and that grace was something he could taste. God's design was for Paul and Silas to be in an uncomfortable place for a long period of time and to give him glory for it. That was God's design. God's desire for Rachel, for all the friends in Rachel's group, was for them to all know there's a place for them at the table. But God's design was for someone like Rachel to invite them to come to a church that showed them the real Jesus. Like, do you know that God's desire for the people in your life is for all of them to receive an invitation to the table? That's God's desire. Every person you know has a standing invitation for them, every person. But God's design is not for someone else to do it. That's one of the greatest lies we could ever believe as a church. It's not someone else's job. God's design is for you, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, to be the one who can invite them to take a seat at the table. And here's the reality. God's desire is for all of our communities. There are hundreds and thousands and millions of tables with an open invitation and no one sitting at it except for God. There are people who are waiting for their invitation and it just hasn't happened yet. And God's design is for that invitation to come from you. Here's the reality. The invitation, don't miss this, is for you. Everything at the table is for you. It's a table for two. You and God. But that invitation is also through you. And the reality is this. This isn't just something you should do or obligated to. This is the why behind everything we are. To sit at the table and invite others to join us. And so many times we miss the why and our faith feels empty because we aren't committed to the why. Did you know at Crossroads we exist to connect people with God we're inviting outsiders to a changed life. That's who we are. That's why we exist. We will never apologize for that. 
Because we know and we take it personally that there are millions of tables sitting without, without somebody there and God's prepared it for them and he's waiting for them and he's designed you and he's designed me to be the one to carry an invitation. And here's the reality. I don't know if you've heard, but next week's an important week at Crossroads. Let's get excited. Across all of our campuses, we have multiple opportunities. On Friday night, we're hosting a movie night here at, here at Goshen, at Mishawaka, and at St. Pete. What a great opportunity for you to invite someone you know to come join you in a non-threatening way to take a seat at the table. And if you're going to struggle to invite them to church, invite them to the movie night, we'll invite them for you. This place should be packed on Friday night. And mind you, next week, what a great opportunity. We're having our kickoff Sunday. Let's get excited about that. And across all of our campuses, listen, everywhere today, there are chances and, and, and things for you to do to take an invitation and invite somebody to join you. And listen, this isn't, we're not doing this to fill seats. We're not doing it because it's fun. We're doing it because we take it personal. There are seats without people sitting at it, and God's prepared it for them. And he's waiting for someone like you to invite them to it. And so this next week, Here's the question. I want to wrap up with these two questions. The first one is this. Are you living into your why? So many times our faith, even our life, can start to feel like we're just in an empty routine. And it's like me in a square piece of dirt picking weeds because I don't understand why. And it feels like an obligation. And it feels monotonous. And you don't know why you're there. Listen, let me tell you the why. God's invited you to a table to taste and see he's good. He wants you to know that he is enough, that you don't have to pursue everything else because it doesn't satisfy. He also wants your enemies to know that, that he's enough, and he wants you to be the one to invite them. Are you living into your why? And that leads to this last question. Who needs an invitation to the table? Somebody in your life, they have a name and listen, if they were the only person that ever existed, Jesus would have died for them anyway. Same for you. Who needs an invitation to the table? And truthfully, today, as we just wrap up this idea here at all of our campuses, we're going to have a chance to say yes to Jesus. We do this every week because we know, I know how easy it is for us to go down trails that, that, to let the enemy take a seat at our table. And so maybe for you today, you just need to recognize, hey, now is the time to say yes to Jesus. And if that's the case, I invite you just to say this prayer with me as we read it. If you believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth, man, God is faithful and he is here and there is new life. Can we get excited about new life across our campuses? Let's read this together. It says, Jesus, I need you. I believe you are the savior of the world, that you gave your life to forgive my sins and that God raised you from the grave so that I could have eternal life. Thank you for loving me. I am saying yes to you, Jesus. Come into my life. I will follow you. Amen. Amen. Now listen, here at our Goshen campus, if you said yes to Jesus, we'd love to connect with you. We can't do faith alone. We'd love to help you and, and, and train you on your way. And so make sure to find a pastor. Find me in the lobby if that's the desire of your heart today. And here's the reality. God's desire for you is for you to have breakthrough. To break through all the pain and suffering and to sit at the table and taste and see that he is good. 
And so I'm just going to say a prayer over you, everyone in this room, and out of drive-in. And my prayer is that we can just savor this moment. This isn't a transaction. God wants nothing from you except for you. And in that, there's breakthrough. Jesus, we thank you that you are indeed enough. I'm sorry for the many times I've been pursuing things, looking for something else, something more, and God, I know that it doesn't satisfy. The only thing that does is for us to sit at your table and for us to live into our why. God, give us the courage to step into whatever that means for us. Give us the boldness to be an inviter. Help us not to be known as the light that covered itself. Help us not to be known as people that have hope but aren't willing to share it with anyone else. Help us to be the ones known for people who find breakthrough. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand and let's worship the God of the breakthrough.